I would say start with the thing you're most interested in, right? Because if you don't have interest, you're probably going to not do as well or fail. Um, when if, and then it means you also have to put the time and understand what it is. You have to go learn. You have to research. Um, find a mentor. Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thank you for joining us today, guys. Today, we're joined by David, who's got his own podcast about uh, financial matters and literacy. I'll let him explain a little bit more about that, Uh, but excited to hear his perspective and have him share some of his thoughts and learnings over the course of his career and kind of where he's at. So, uh, David, without further ado, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah. Thanks for having me, by the way. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Yeah. David Malonis. I, uh, financial coach is one thing that I do. I also have, we have the podcast that you mentioned. So that's something on my mind, personal finance. So we cover all things finance on a weekly basis with a weekly tip to educate people who uh, want to advance and help their financial fitness. Right. Um, also I've been a long-term program manager for, uh, uh fortune 500 it companies and, uh, do that from my home. And then I run this other side of the thing out of, uh, out of the house here. So that's what I do. Which one's more exciting to you? Uh, doing the entrepreneurial, building your own podcast, managing your own business, or uh, being with the Fortune 500? Uh, the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> when you get control over what you like to do, um, even though the work's probably much harder, it's much more gratifying. That alone, that in itself, makes it more worth it. So... The question we like to talk about here, and I'll dive right in, and then we can go a variety of different directions. But once you and your family hit that point where you know you didn't have to worry about putting food on the table, you started having you know supplemental income. What did you guys start to do with it, and where did where did you put your guys' money? I mean, we always stuck to a strategy, and and I'll preface this by saying when my met my wife or blended family uh, ten years ago, she had negative twelve hundred dollars in the bank, abused mentally, physically, and verbally um, abused, bankrupt for a short time or whenever that her period was before me and actually homeless for a short time. So we've actually built this whole monster, this nest egg, this whole plan we put together over this 10 years. So we've seen it all. And so, um, but she's in financial management. She's a COO now. She broke the glass ceiling. And so having her as a partner and then me being a, a published author in finance and working with money all these years, um, you know, we had a lot of cleanup to do. So once we got to that point, which you're alluding to with your question is that, um, we stuck with the, the same principles of always making sure we max out to like 401ks, right? Make sure we max out IRAs, anything that we can max out, or if it's, um, after tax, we would do that. Um, um, we've also, um, you know, I've done a lot of side hustles over the time. That's kind of what you're saying as well. So when you're saying I have a point where I have money, um, I'm writing another book. Um, I, I did a sold a property that I had. Um, it was a single family home that I had from a divorce, but it was um it was time I took the money and ran it, didn't have to buy another house. Um other things we've done is um looked into opportunity zones, which maybe we can cover a little later in the show because I know you're familiar with that. Um, and then um started buying into penny stocks a little bit here and there and um gee, stock options and the podcast. So I'm like I could I could roll all these off. The point is, is when you get to that level, when you have more money, we don't have to think or worry about it as much. Um, it, it provides so many more options. 
but it's not to say that anybody can't take advantage of them. I'm no different than anybody else, but you know, there's this phrase that people say, does money, can money buy happiness? And I say, yes, it can. Um, now, if you have an underlying problem, that's personal. Money can't solve anything, but it may, may maybe pay some medical bills or keep somebody quiet. Um, but if you're in a decent sound mind and body um, to a level that you can manage your life with, money can make your life easier. It can make give you, again, options. And so I think no one should ever tell you that it can't make your life better. So you talked a little bit about this cleanup period and you talked a little bit of having a plan. My inference there is there was no plan prior. There was a set of experiences that led you to X. And then there was some catalyst that said, hey, let's do something differently that you started to set a plan. Can, can you share a little bit about kind of what that looked like for you guys? Yeah. And so it's funny because um, you always hear about entrepreneurial, make your money that way, especially with the millennials. They're the top end now is at age 40. So that, that number is dying out. So my was, I'm an old school guy and so is she because we're in our 50s. So I'm not that you couldn't have been an entrepreneur, just we weren't. Um, so the path, and now we are more so, but back then it was the thought is when you have all, she has all this debt and we're mixing two families together and we got, we moved in together at six months, which I would not advise to anybody, but we did it and probably have the best marriages that we know. So point being is like, she had a lot of debt, number one. And, you know, the being, being a budget guy, one of the first things we did, at least the money train was. Um, to build that up was go pull out your bank statements and let's just look at your behavior. Let's see how you're spending your money. Where's it at? Why are you broke even after, um, you know, after all this happened, but now at least your salary should cover what you're doing. Where's it all going? And the number one thing she realized she was buying her kids love with Subway driving home every day because of all the bad things in life. And that didn't seem like much, but you know, there's only so much money that goes around for a single mom having to pay alimony to the ex. She had to pay it. So she was just in a bad spot. So even those little dollars that went away were just crippling her. And um, so the plan was, all right, we're going to do a, a full-scale budget and you're going to participate and you're going to be part of that solution. It's not just me telling you what to do. We're doing this as a team. You budget your money, then you know where things are at and then you can decide how to get rid of um, you know, uh, past things such as like credit debt would be the number one thing. Um, or just you know, a, a bill would pop up like three months later, it'd be an electric bill like, oh, it was $900. What? It was pulling my hair out. Like, when are these things going to end? Like, all this—it's all these trails that just are there. So once we did that, then I'm like, all right, well, got to start investing money. So let's let's start with the 401ks right now. Let's get those built up, or her specifically. Um, but the other thing was, the interesting thing was, it wasn't the thing we worked on the hardest. wasn't um, you would think blending the kids, and that's not financial. Um, but what it was is that I'm like, you were like, you're she's awesome in her industry. She's a badass. And she'd already had 20 something years um, at Merrill Lynch. And I'm like, you are not realizing your full potential. And you are highly respected and but yet not respected enough to get to the positions that you need to be. And I think if you feel like it, you should start pushing yourself up into management to get some other opportunities and make some bucks. And she did that. So we spent a lot of time because when you start doing that, it takes a lot of her time. So she had to get her ass kicked through management for a couple of years. And then she got to a point where she was managing like 80 people in six branches and then got to a point where she didn't like where she was at. And then she went off to a, a guy she um, knew and went to an independent practice where she is today and went to this other level. And this, you know, and I go, you're now going to the A team. You got off the B team in basketball, you're the A team. And now you're going to the pinnacle. 
But now that allowed her to break the glass ceiling and, and provide much more fruitful and fruit, fruitfulness, excuse me, in life um, that she didn't have. And so it's not, it's not like a crazy plan, but what I love about it, it's not always about money. She realized I'm really good at what I do. I am highly respected. And I've, I've done something here that most women don't ever achieve. And it's really provided us a lot of um, fun things to do, places to go, things to do, people to meet that most people never get to do. But along with that does come the money. And with that money, you can invest and you can put it away and it grows. And, um, you know, it's allowed us, and I'm not even talking about my side of it, but mainly that was the number one thing we worked on because you, you have to have yourself right in your mind and body. And you're, if you like, if you don't manage your own money underneath, you can't manage it um, when you're working for somebody else or as an entrepreneur. You have to treat yourself like as an entrepreneur, even if you're not one, in order to be successful. And so those are the things that we were fixing mentally. And then the money came along underneath and then it built. And then we were able to do a lot of the things with it. So it sounds like the, the process that kind of underwent was understanding the expenses, um, coming up with a solid uh, plan or budget for what those expenses should be, get to profitability. And then once you get to profitability, it opens up a lot of the things that you were talking about in terms of the different options uh, that you could go and run and kind of play with your money accordingly. Yeah. Well, like as an entrepreneur, right? If you're um, running a, a donut shop, whatever, and you know, you're going to work a lot of hours and uh, 90% of all businesses fail in three years, right? But let's just say you got some success. You have a chance to get there. There's potential. So once you keep getting to this point, obviously you're going to have to make some sacrifices with your time and some of your, maybe your own personal money to get there. But if you know that you can see a pattern here, then, you know, you got to just keep making those sacrifices knowing if I go a little bit longer, but I know if I do this, take two steps back, it's not really steps back. It's actually forward later on that, eventually, um, maybe you can get to the BE point. And when you do, um, I think the number one thing people miss in business is um, they uh, once they start doing okay, they don't invest in their business while they're going along. They think, oh, I got to this point, I'm, I'm bringing in some money, but you have to keep investing in the product. And there's that, that, that line of, you know, personally, um, it's the same way. You get to points where, all right, I'm, I'm good right here. And like, I don't want to take this money and put it over here. I want to keep messing around with the hero. I want to go do something for myself, but you still got to, it's that one stage of growth where you actually need to spend a little bit more to grow even further. And I think that's what a lot of um, people, not again, personally and professionally in business that people miss. So yeah, you have to always have your eye on the prize back here constantly about investing yourself, innovation. What am I going to do for the product or what am I going to do personally for my goals? You mentioned that point where you've got to invest to unlock that next level. What are some of the signs or how do you know that you're at that point where, you know, you've got to make that infusion of capital or, you know, invest in yourself, whatever it is to get to that next level? Um, it's, I will use a very simple example. It's like this podcast, right? I built it out of nothing. Did it in 2020 in August, uh, April, 2020 in COVID. And, but we, but I'm like, I'm a person who likes to invest properly. I'm not going to half ass it. I'm going to, I'm going to, by the right equipment. And then we sucked. We weren't good. People say we're good when we've done pretty well, but I like some back. I'm like, no, now I sound like as good as anybody on there. I can flow. We have chemistry. We have history. We have all these things. So through this process, you know, you're getting better. So you first have to understand, am I good at what am I do I'm doing? So once you get to that point, um, yeah. So when the investing part comes in, I'm like, well, what else am I going to do with this show? It's like, well, I got a market. 
right? I got I got a market. If you don't advertise in podcasting on certain apps and do the research and find out where to go with it um, and which ones um, and how to do it, you won't get any listeners, which means you'll get no sponsorships because people are going to get paid by sponsorships and and, and and this loose example. But on the other hand, um, my son kept going, all right, you're good at the audio. Um, and all, all three of our kids are in, in media. And they're like, well, you need to, you need to get on video. So I, I took this lower level from a 1929 house. It was not ever meant to be a lower level, but just, you know, um, an old Michigan basement, they would say, and put in a probably about 50 grand into this thing and built a custom studio and, and put in all the lights and the carts and the switchers and the TVs and, the, and cords everywhere. It's like, it's the real deal. It looks like a TV show. And so we invested in that product because now that video created more, all this content on social media. And I'm like, okay, now we have social media. Now we got to build up the social media. And then I'm like, well, people will pay for a Patreon if you want. You know, so you look at all these things out here. You got to see what other people are doing. Got to see what's successful and take a hand at each piece. But I think it's a building process. You can't necessarily do all of those at the same time because then you're going to spread too thin. You got to take one piece and have a plan all the time. They're going to keep executing this next piece. Maybe, maybe back to the donut thing. It's like, well... Maybe go do your research and find out the two of these flavors, they're not selling well. But this one sells really well. Maybe I need to do a focus group. Maybe I need to do a similar product with that donut. I don't know. But those are the things you've got to keep looking at and putting back in because you can't stay stagnant. So how do you know which piece to start with, right? You talked about all these different components. Uh, you also talked about different investment things that you're looking at, right? Whether it's opportunity zones, whether it's uh, you know, ETS, whether it's options, whether it's property, right? So uh, how do you know where to start and how do you, how do you start? I would say start with the thing you're most interested in, right? Because if you don't have interest, you're probably going to not do as well or fail. Um, when if, and then it means you also have to put the time and understand what it is. You have to go learn, you have to research, um, find a mentor for sure, or find something on TV. Like, if I watched, uh, I watched CNBC in the background all day long. Um, and I pay attention just enough to learn what the, you know, a company that my, I might be interested in. There's guys in there who trade options and all these things. I'm just always soaking up knowledge. And so that's how I started in options because I was watching these guys and okay. I'm like, I know about these, these stocks, for example, and I'm confident that I think Apple's going to go up to 200 in the next year and a half. So maybe that's one I'll start with. It's like, so I start small, start with something I like and understand and go from there, right? Um, it doesn't mean you can't have your hand in a couple other things. I just don't think you should jump into the deep end of the pool right off the bat with things. You have to, again, um, have a plan and build each little piece up and then play around with it and get good at it and, you, and, and also learn that you're going to fail. You're always going to fail to succeed. That's a, it's an old cliche, but it's true. You're never going to get it right all the time, but you can end up on the other end eventually where you need to be. And it's just, you got to be patient, take some time and put the effort in. As you're thinking about where you are now versus where you started, if you were to go back and tell your younger self something, one piece of advice or something you'd do differently, what would that be? Um, it's before the term FOMO came out. <laughs> Don't get caught in a FOMO, man. Um, I remember buying this stock one time. I think I was watching Kramer. Maybe, geez, I, I'm going to say it's at least 12, 13 years ago. And there's some, some stock called Viropharma. I didn't have a ton of money at the time in this account. 
And uh, I think I put like five grand into it because I was there's some story on it. And I'm like, I just wanted to buy it because I think it's going up tomorrow. I think it's going up. And I basically lost all five grand within like two days. Now, is that a ton of money? No, but five grand is a lot to some people. And uh, I felt like it was just like a pit in my stomach. And so when you watch the market, you watch Bitcoin or just all coin itself, right? Or meme stocks, you know, um, hey, you got to go get into rental properties. You know, whatever's out there that you hear a lot of the newer, you know, because these these are the kind of things you hear going on like in today's world. Back for me, it, that, that didn't exist. So getting back today or back to the future, the FOMO still existed. Like don't get caught up on what, what everybody else is doing. Get caught up with what you want to do and like just don't, just be patient and do your research. Don't don't just make a quick hair trigger move because you'll usually get burned. And so I've always um, been pretty good about it. And like I, so I to put it this way: if I buy four stocks, for example, now or four options, I'm gonna lose on one probably. I'm gonna win on the next three. The second one I buy will make break me even, and the other two are gonna make me the money. And that's how I come up on on top. But I had to learn to get there, and so. For example, I, we sold out of everything um, at the end of this year, um, winners and losers. And um, we wanted to clear out. And that's what you do at the end of the year. You try to set your capital gains up. And um, and now I'm just being patient. Like, I don't want to buy right now because I think the market's going to go down. I'm going to wait. And But 10 years ago, I wouldn't have done that. I feel like, oh, man, it's going to go up. I'm going to miss out. And now I don't do that. And, and it's still hard. What's the most exciting thing that you're investing in today? Um, that's a good cool question. It's probably still options. Um, I, I, I bought into a couple of NFTs with my son because he talks about it where I, he's, he's in his own NFT in his own brain. He doesn't know. I don't think he knows what he's talking about half the time, <laughs> but I bought like a, I went into a digital, um, a digital space or something recently. Just, I did it because I could participate with them. Um, Man, yeah, you know, uh, it's still it's still options, still options for me. They they can make you so much money if you play them right. Um, and so I I stick with I'll say this I stick with companies that I know. I stick with companies I typically own the underlying stock. Uh, Apple's one of them, so I I know everything that's going on with Apple typically, or Microsoft. Um, I own um, or I follow stocks that I know are solid companies, and when they get nailed. And they go down 50, 60 points, which happens right now in the market because um, the market's been going up so much. And if you don't quite meet the expectation, people are selling it off like crazy. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm buying. And so with the exciting part always is options or stocks is that the best time to buy is when the market sucks. People think it's always when the market's good. And I'm like licking my chops, which again, took me years to get there to, to, to get past that mental game that, yeah, because you're buying stuff on sale. So like, well, everybody's selling. Well, no, they're not. Like, like I'm, I'm going to be the one buyer. And I think we've been Warren Buffett's commented that through the years. You want to buy when things are low. So this gets back to the options in life when you ask the one question of, well, you know, uh, when you get to a point you have money, what can you do with it? And I said, it gives you options, um, but options in the sense of, I have money that I can go get something now when things are on sale, where before I'm just trying to make money to get it in my 401k. What's the biggest difference those options, that financial, you know, uh, optionality has created for you in your life? What's the difference or the biggest, say it again? 
What's the biggest thing that that financial optionality has created for you in your life, right? You talked about money being able to buy you happiness. You talked about the options that it provides for you personally. You know, what does that look like? And what's the biggest impact it's had for you? That's a good question because here's the one thing I think most people miss, um, a common American, if you will, because um, only 6.8 million people are um, multimillionaires in this country. And if you go by a percentage out of 360 million, it's a small number. So many, and, and then you get to millionaire household, just less than that. It's, it's not, it's, you just don't see it a lot. Um, but the, what the one thing people miss because they're really not good with their money, even if you're somebody who's a middle-class person, you're putting your money in your 401k is they don't build any money in after-tax accounts. So when you talk about tax deferred accounts, like a Roth 401k or a 401k or 403, 403b or 457, something like that, that's buy an employer plan right? That money you can't touch until you're 59 and a half. So what people don't do is they don't, again, build this after-tax money. And that's exactly what this, these options especially um, have done for us. We have as much money in our after-tax as we do in all of our retirement accounts. So when you have this cash, you've already paid the tax. So you're just building up money. So if you make money and cash it out, you have to pay capital gains, but that means you're also making money. So if you pay tax, it's no big deal. But what happens is, is now as you could continue to build up and have this cash to play with, um, if you have these other types of accounts, you don't have to touch them. They can continue to grow and you can draw off this money. And so if something breaks or I want to go buy something or pay the kids college off, whatever, you name it, I can go grab money and do it. I don't have to go touch that money and B, I just have money to go do that. And I don't have to worry about um, having the money saved per se, because it's already there. So in these after-tax accounts, what are some of the biggest pillars of that for you, right? You talked about Roth, you talked about 403B. I presume you've got 529 that plays into that as well with the kids in college. Like, What are those big ones from your perspective that people should be evaluating for their own personal portfolios? When it comes to the pre-retirement, um, usually if you get to a point with your income, it gets to a level where you're more tax advantageous to actually put into your 401k as opposed to your uh, Roth. When you're younger, Roths make more sense because your income's lower. Um, but eventually, you know, with your CPA, your Intuit guy, whoever you use TurboTax, you don't have to ask that question. Um, probably somewhere in the 60 to 80 range in salary will get you that point where you might want to flip over. Um so that's what I think people, you know, need to to concentrate on. Um, but there's nothing wrong with splitting a little bit too. If you would need to create some cash for yourself in a Roth and don't want to put it all into a 401k, that way you can do it at a young age and leave yourself with a little money to play with and then and, and build that. Um, the thing is, is most people don't make enough money. I mean, the, the percentage of people who even max out a 401k is is minuscule. And the maximum is 19,500. And now it just went up to 20,500 a year. And if you're 50 or older, you get another 6,500. So like in my case with my wife, we put away, put away $54,000 a year in that alone. So if you can't get to that level, you're probably not necessarily going to go to the 401k after tax route. Um, this just gets back to managing your finances. You have to put the time in. And once you start looking at money and if you actually start with your budget, if you start budgeting, looking at these things and the stuff I'm talking about, you'll start paying attention more to this stuff. And then you'll start making better decisions for yourself. But if all you can do is put in your 401k, then fine. Just make sure you get the company match. If it's there, don't ever give that. We always say in the show, never give away the free money. And so, and here's the other thing. I know I'm kind of rambling, but here's the other thing we always say to people because 
barring anything unforeseen, like uh, it's just something devastating. Like actually my wife, Cindy got hit by a car walking across the street uh, three years ago and it changed our lives, right? It's just, you don't know what life's going to bring you. And so the, the, the point is, is that you have to like take care of yourself and have a plan w- with what was going on. So if you have the ability to live on your own, when you first move out to pay your bills, you should have somehow knew that. So once you're there, then why don't you know later? So make sure you leave and manage that. So once you're there, if you're screwing yourself with debt or buying another house or getting home equity loans and all these things that usually obviously means you can't afford it because you can't pay it back on the first monthly statement. Secondly, Go cut back and make decisions, kind of like the business thing I was talking about. If you're investing in your business, you're going to make a lot of sacrifices. Typically, business owners do, but they, but the personal, this the general person doesn't do that for themselves. So you have to treat yourself like a business. And if you do that and just give a little effort into it, I've never seen anybody that I've worked with and sat down and went through the whole budget reconstruction and then go through this path of building up for a house or a car, or kids and all these things. And we, we know people that we love seeing, they're like our kids when they get there. They never go the other way. They never go to the dark side. They don't, Luke doesn't hang out with his dad, Darth Vader. It doesn't happen. So it's not like it can't be done. People just have to want to do it. And then, and then these options start building up. You get more of these choices in life. What's your perspective on arbitraging interest rate, given how low it is in terms of Take your home, lever it up, take that money and make more than 3% elsewhere. Um, I haven't done it, but I will tell you this. Um, I don't pay my home off. We pay 3.3% uh, on a 15-year mortgage. We bought a house, a foreclosure for 156 grand 10 years ago. We might owe like 85. And the simple reason it's along your lines is we don't um, pay it off because we make more money in the market when I can make 10% or, or more. Just, just if you just talk straight stocks as an example. Um, I will say that, um, I applaud anybody who's willing to take money out and go putting into real estate. And if they can make some money off it, I, especially when you're young and if you don't have any responsibilities, like the wife and the kids or the vice versa or a partner, if that's the time to do it, especially because when the responsibilities build up, the odds of you doing that are, um, null and void almost. So while you're young, give it a shot. And if you get burned a little bit, then, you know, that's okay. You have time to recover. And so, yeah, I mean, Again, put your time and research in, maybe not jump into the deep end of the pool, try, some, try something out. And if you can make it happen, then yeah, because that's exactly why our finance system allows that. They allow you to take money out of your house. They never question what you're going to do with it. So, um, you know, just be smart about your decision and, um, you know, be as informed as you can and talk to mentors. There's so many people out there like yourself um, out there that can give somebody some information about maybe the right way to go about it. Um, so that you feel like at least I made an informed decision at the time, even if it doesn't quite work out. David, you talked a little bit about opportunity zones. Can you give the audience just a you know thirty second synopsis of what they are, and then where are you looking? Uh, how are you looking to invest in those opportunity zones? Um, we were looking into one um, out in Austin. Austin's a growing, burgeoning area out on the outskirts of that city, uh, especially with uh, now Tesla's going to be in there, uh, headquartered. I think headquarters now and the plant amongst other businesses is turning into a very big IT hub. So, you know, um, there's, there's more than one type, but um, the IRS allowed it was, it's a government program and it allows you to defer taxes number one for 10 years if, uh, if you leave it in there. And basically you're giving money for, um, to gentrify like in the, um, oh shoot, what's that, um, shameless. 
and Shameless, right? They had some episodes where they were gentrifying the city and uh, parts of Chicago to bring it up. So you get zones that are depressed and um, this money goes into building them up. And so like one version of it could be um, apartments, for example. So they would build apartment complexes for people to live in that's uh, affordable to that. So knowing that the people would come in and pay the rent. So if I gave my money into this fund with other people, kind of like a mutual fund in a way, like a crowd fund or something, something where you pool money together is the point. And they could take this money and then they can um, build these places and then they take the rent. And then um, eventually I get some of that, those pieces back um, in money. And as time goes on and they improve it, eventually, um, at least the one I was looking at, they will eventually sell that property. And so I can get money back on that regard as well. So in a very small nutshell, an opportunity zone is just to clean up an area, make it nice beautification. Um, even it can get down to even building a school or a park or, you know, they're trying to make these areas where they're, um, clean, nice, safe, and give people an opportunity to maybe what they otherwise would not have had. So how are you looking to invest in those? Are you looking to buy a property in there and fix it up yourself? Are you partnering with a developer or are there different funds? Like, uh, what's the vehicle for which you're looking at putting dollars in and not opportunity zone? I would be one of the people just putting money into the fund. So um, me and along with how many other people who don't want to deal with the, the day-to-day, I don't want to be um, involved in any of the planning, any of the building, any of the collect the, the management company that collects the rent and maintains the properties. I don't want to do any of that. So I'm taking the angle of I'm going to give money into this zone so they can take that money and pay the builder and pay these other companies, whoever has to go do all the management of that work. How do you find the the GP, the general partner, right? The the admin, the developer who's you know soliciting funds to go do these projects. Um, this one was for a highly respected um, financial institution. This actually has a has one, so I didn't have to do much work. So um, <laughs> that's my laziness. Um, that's how I found it. I mean, you do some research, you'll find them out there. There's 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 always somebody out there looking to to build and look for people for. Um, I think you just, again, you need to be careful and talk to people who know what they're doing that you trust. And there's a one rule always in any type of investing, don't invest in something that you don't understand. You got to understand it and you got to have trustworthy people that, um, you know, I know what you kind of, some of the things you do, I, you're a nice guy. I would ask you questions. If you're willing to give me some time, that would be a good learning curve for me to start somewhere. And then you might know somebody else and build it up where like you're getting a chain of people who are successful and done quality things. Um, to go find said people, but you can pretty much do enough research. You're going to find something out there that you could put your money into. I'm sure you have a, uh, a nice resource in your wife uh, as well. It's connected to uh, a lot of market knowledge that I'm sure creates fun conversations for the two of you. Yeah, there's never, I know people think finance is boring and, and to be honest, it is. I'm surprised we've kept the listeners we've had, <laughs> but we're, we're not a normal podcast. We're actually a lot of fun. We do it with fun. Um, but I will say that um, because they are do high net worth, you know, I've um, and it's funny because, like I said earlier, Cindy had negative twelve hundred dollars when I met her, and we've eaten um, we've eaten dinner in billionaires' houses, so we've seen everything. So that's what I like about the whole thing is they've seen the whole gamut and always learning about something new. I don't know it all, but I know plenty, and I've seen it from all sides, all angles. Um, and so, yeah, we get to meet some outstanding people that. Um, that I can't name, but you know, um, big, big business people, people who own sports teams, people who are athletes, race car drivers, um, uh, rock concert people. 
you know, whatever. We've met all kinds of, of unique people. And um, yeah, it, it, you know, you talk enough to the right. That's not what we do. But there's but because there's enough connections within that web, there's certainly a path. As we're wrapping up here, David, what's what's the best way for our listeners to be able to connect back to you if they want to, uh, you know, engage with you or uh, hear about your podcast? Again, it's it's called something on my mind, uh, personal finance. It's on all all platforms. Um, uh, we also like to read a lot of questions. We we love the this. We this is probably our favorite part. You can go to that website or go to somethingonmymind.net um, and submit a question and find us that way. And then on the social media, we're at um, all handles are at s o m m dot podcast. Very cool. Well, I appreciate uh, you spending the time, David. Uh, learned a lot myself and. Hopefully the listeners did as well. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners like yourself diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success. 